Thank you for joining me on this journey through the 177 nations of Tasmania. In this episode, I'm talking with Jeff from Canada. Now, Canada is one of those countries which is often considered uh, one of the most similar to Australia in terms of history, culture, society, and so on. And there are definitely parallels between our two countries, but also some key differences. Now, Jeff is a proud Canadian, but he also loves his newfound home in Launceston, where he settled with his family. And as you will hear, he's picked up on a few rather Tasmanian Tasmanian quirks and peculiarities, let's say, that I'm sure locals and migrants alike will both recognize and relate to. So without further ado, let's jump in and find out more about what a Canadian's experience of Tasmania is like and more. So I grew up in Toronto, suburb of Toronto, North York, I guess, which is now part of the mega city of Toronto. Grew up in a, look, a upper middle class area, public school kid and always Love that. I mean, I had a great upbringing. I guess, um, like most kids, walking to school was fun. Walking, mm-hmm. you know, uh, my primary school, I guess my we had middle school there. We have a sort of okay. seven, eight, nine. Yep. But walking to high school was great too. You're in Toronto too, so it's the better part of us five, well, now five million person city. I mean, if you wanted to go anywhere, um, it was very normal. This is what I lament as a parent now, that it was normal to, well, you've got to go to the dentist, jump on the bus, jump on the subway, you know, take yourself downtown. And if I'm not there, well, jump on the bus, jump on the subway and get home. And that was utterly normal. I I can remember being 10 years old and my parents letting me and three little friends of mine skip school on the first day of the Toronto Blue Jays baseball season and go down to the stadium, buy tickets watch the game, you know, and that, that meant two subways and a streetcar to get there and transferring. And, you know, we're, we're four 10-year-old boys in a city of three million, three and a half million at the time. And I don't know that parents would do that nowadays. That was a bit more free. But yeah, so so grew up in a big city, but with a, a good community. Uh, yeah. And ball hockey was the everyday after school thing on the street and driveway hockey. And then I was more of a skier in the winter, so I would take to take to snow skiing in the winter as much as I could. And then my biggest memory and my biggest fondness growing up was some an American or Canadian style summer camp. So mm-hmm. a sleepover camp. And just before COVID hit, my wife and I were having meetings about to start to get funding and look at investors for starting a summer camp in Tassie. It didn't happen because of COVID. Uh, um, we thought, well, who's going to invest in a business that gets small kids together in closed spaces now? It's completely uncertain. So, But our thought was, what do parents do with teenage kids during the summer? Mm. What do they get up to? And we watched our kids wanting to do whatever the neighbors wanted to do, too. I mean, we would offer them, well, do you want to do this? Do you want to do that? Do you want to do this? And you just get, no, no. And the neighbors ring the door. Hey guys, you want to come out and play? Boom, they're gone. And they just want to be around other kids. They just want to do kid stuff, programs for kids. And that was the best part of being a youngster in Canada was going off to summer camp. Because it didn't matter whether we were playing tennis or doing archery or doing swimming or canoeing or kayaking or whatever. You were with your friends. You were with kids. And yeah, I guess the concept to Australians is a foreign one that you're going to send your kids away for a month or two and they're going to be looked after by another... 18 year old kid who's may or may not be sober at night and uh, uh, and that's going to be an acceptable thing for your kids but I tell you what it, it's, it's the, my favorite part of my upbringing my favorite part of youth I mean that's 
That's where you learn to snog girls. That's where you learn <laughs> to. That's where you learn to get along with other people. It's where you learn a bit of independence. Yeah. It's where you learn no one else is going to clean up the cabin for you. You better clean up because everyone else is cleaning up. So it, yeah, it. My parents loved it. They got rid of us for the summer, yeah. and they had their whole lives back for a few months a year. And it would be an absolute win to start one here. But maybe next year we'll we'll yeah. we'll put that on the back well, burner. Yeah, I can imagine. I mean, a lot of parents sort of struggle with what to do in the summer holidays. I just it's thought of what, what is a fifteen-year-old. I have two daughters, so what is a fifteen-year-old girl going to do? What's a sixteen-year-old girl going to do? They're going to go downtown and try and spend money that they don't have because it's hard to find work. Let's face it. It's not, not every 15 year old can find a job. It's yeah, just not yeah. that much. And what would they prefer to do? I mean, so the ideas of sitting at home and fooling around with your boyfriend or girlfriend <laughs> while mom and dad are at work were just not appealing to me. I, will, I thought, geez, we're going to end up with a teenage pregnant kid that way. And I want my kids to have a better experience than mm. working at Macca's or working some job that wasn't really fun i wanted them to have a lot of fun and remember it as summer breaks were the best time of their life yeah um not just something to count down the days until you went back to school Uh, we ended up in Launceston by way of hobart actually so i guess we ended up in australia because i met an Australian, a West Australian, while I was training in Canada. After 10 years or so in WA, I couldn't stand the heat. Um, I couldn't stand spending all my summertime indoors because I was avoiding doing anything with the kids outside or playing golf or going camping or anything I liked. Just didn't want it to be over 40. And um, I basically said Melbourne or south of Melbourne. And we took a year, sort of hemmed and hawed and decided no Hobart would be more, more cost effective, even though we sort of liked Lonnie more, but Hobart would have more things to offer. And we settled in Hobart six years ago, six and a half years ago. Lived there for the better part of four years. And then I, at some point I started working up north. I was doing locums in Devonport and Launceston and then found that that was too hard on the family being, you know, half the week there and half the week gone. It wasn't really enjoyable. So we, we worked on a compromise and that was move up here. And I love it. Uh, and... I think my wife was a little more reticent. She's West Australian, but she was a little reserved on moving up to Launceston, but has loved it too. And yeah. even remarked, we last week was Canada Day, so July 1st. And we had about 20 people over here and just other Canadians got together. And we were talking about where is home. Mm. And she says, you know, it, it's really been a great idea moving here. She feels connected to a lot of people. She's made a lot of friends. Uh, one of my other Canadian friends was saying, and, and we both agreed that when we reference home, that's still Canada. But we don't ever plan on leaving here. I think we'll leave Launceston or Launceston area at least for forever. But we'll always still reference Canada as home. Canada, home and so I'm trained as a GP, but I do skin cancer medicine only. I had been doing general practice work for about 10, 12 years, a lot in WA, a few years in Toronto where I grew up. And I'd had a melanoma myself. Okay. Uh, I've, my dad's had stage four melanoma. My aunt's had a melanoma. It, it just became more personally relevant to mm -hmm. work in a field that I enjoyed and that meant something to me. Not that medicine in general didn't, it just, I think I was losing the luster for treating people's blood pressure and cholesterol yeah. issues and, and 
you can take your work home with you a lot if it's if you're that sort of person and if it's heavy work and i felt passionate about skin cancer and i felt like it was obviously relevant to us and and it gives me a little bit of tactical skills too or technical skills so mm-hmm. I, I do get to do some surgery and i find it a lot more lighthearted. i also find i'm the t- sort of person who likes knowing a certain subject area really well rather okay, than yep. feeling consistently out of my depth in in a you know a breadth of knowledge yes but not really a depth of it so when we left wa to move to tassie to be doing skin cancer medicine people thought we were mad you're you're going to tassie to do skin cancer it's freezing down there and i said yes but it's the second highest incidence behind Queensland of melanoma per capita. Mm. And, you know, it's... Very high UV. Very high UV. Yeah, yeah. Large population, especially up in the north, a large population or in the catchment area of people who work outdoors. Yeah, right. Um, so there's a farm in every direction here. Yeah. Um, and close by. So there's a lot of outdoor work and... Sadly, that's good for business, <laughs> or, yeah. or gladly, that's good for business. And I, and I love what I do. I absolutely didn't love what I did as a GP, but I absolutely love it now. And I mean, Australia generally, I think, has one of the highest rates of skin cancer, if not the highest in the world. It does, yeah. So Australia is quite, yeah, pretty much the world capital for skin cancers. Queensland, just based on the outdoors lifestyle and, and uh, the sheer heat and... Um, lack of clothing up there <laughs> uh there's there's a lot more people but we're always sort of us and wa second or third yeah for uh, melanoma per capita and and that was a bit surprising to me because i would have thought sydney and and an outdoors lifestyle in, in new south wales would have um would have been higher on the list but look it's been an absolute joy to move to tasmania and uh, also find that work was um pretty pretty efficient Canada. <laughs> Had it been your, was your ambition to study medicine? Uh, was that your first choice? Yes and no. I mean, I guess I was always good at science and wanted to figure out what I would do with that. But when I started university, I wanted to be Prime Minister of Canada. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and I realized pretty early that my first year politics class wasn't as interesting as I was hoping. <laughs> and uh, and that I would have to be fluent in French. And my French is passable-ish, okay. uh, but it's it's not fluent. Yeah. And I, I guess I could have taken a lot of French classes and put a lot of effort in, but I just didn't see wanting to do it. And I, I still have a passion for politics, but yeah. I everyone I talk to who is in politics tells me, no, you're not going to do politics. <laughs> And I, I, I ask them why, and they, they tell me because I have a soul. <laughs> uh, and, and say, look, you, you need to be a pretty ruthless and a game player, and you're just a nice, honest person, and those people get chewed up and sped out in politics. But in a way, that's, the, that's half the problem, isn't it? It attracts it all the worst people, and the people who would be good uh, kind of shy away. Yeah, I, mean, I don't want to give my life to that. I, don't, I, never, I didn't want to give my life to any job, really. Uh, I still wanted to retain who I am and the things I enjoy. Um, and when my work defined me, it was going to be a problem for me. So so politics was going to be too much that changed who I was and changed how I had to be in myself and in my daily routines to keep going with it. But yeah. I didn't want to do that. 
Can I, I actually studied Canadian politics at university, funnily cool. enough. So I was going to ask, I can ask you a little bit about that because one of the themes that I remember or has come up was the similarity between Australia and, and Canada. I mean, on many levels. Have you found many noticeable similarities? Yes, uh, I've found, I found similarities. I do find some differences too, but I'm sure we'll get to that. I think, yeah. I think people in both countries are by and large good-hearted, good-natured, want to help. They tell me there's a tall poppy syndrome here, yeah. uh, which, okay, yeah, at times I can see it, but I think maybe it's overblown. I, I think Australians yeah. want to be proud of Australians yeah. and want to see them do well on the world stage, yeah. just like Canadians do. We're vastly patriotic, but you can do that without being completely bombastic like the U.S. can be, Yeah, which is no slight against the U.S. I mean, I, I think a lot of people feel that Canadians hate Americans and that I think it's overblown. I mean, we, yeah, just, we, you just, we like to set aside. Just want to have, it seems you want to have your own separate identity. Canadians are at pains to differentiate themselves. That's, that's yeah. The, the, wear, the wearing of the Canadian flag when you go traveling in Europe and yeah, I, I've met Canadian when I've been backpack down here and Canadians and they kind of joke that they had it on their backpack. So in case they were ever in a kidnapping situation, <laughs> look, it's I, I did it my first trip to Europe because you were told that's what you do and you differentiate yourselves from Americans. And then I never did it again because I met some wonderful Americans and I met and I have really good friends who are American. And oh, look, I'll say there can be dickheads from everywhere. Um, yeah, that's fair. <laughs> you know, there are dickhead Australians there are dickhead Canadians, but it's not representative. And I was asked by some of my American friends, why do you have a flag? And or why do some Canadians have a flag? And it, it was embarrassing to say, well, just so that we're not you. Um, <laughs> and that was wrong. So, yeah, you, yeah, you, I, I, you need a stronger reason, don't you? You really do. I just, it's, it's a nice flag, really. I it, well, it is, although. Well, it's easy to, it's very recognizable. It's very recognizable. It's easy to spot. I've been, you know, I've been made fun of that we go carrying a, a giant leaf into <laughs> battle. It's not exactly going to scare anyone, but look, it's distinct. It's unique. I like that, you know, getting back to the similarities, there's certainly an effort to try and make the next generation better off than the generation before. I think, yeah, that, that as, a, as a parent, you know, who's coming close to middle age, that's um, becoming increasingly obvious that that may not happen in this generation, both in Canada and here. And, um, yeah, okay. you know, that, that kids will struggle to have home ownership, that they'll struggle to have... Uh, employment possibilities that are as good as they were my uh, my parents' generation. Yeah, coming out of their training or school. So, so I, I do see the future in both countries as a bit clouded, but I see that globally. I, I, I think we're in a wonderful spot, especially in Tasmania. So let's mm. the, the similarities between Tasmanians or, or Tasmania and Canada is you know primarily it's outdoor beauty. I mean we're we're here because I like temperate culture. I like being yep. outside. I like being able to go for a hike. I like green. I, I could not stand the color of summer in WA because it was yellow and brown. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and there's not a lot of grass around that I remember. And no. The, the grass that I saw was kind of dusty, artificial. And, yeah, and you could see the sand coming through. Yeah. My wife had always thought, you know, before she moved to Canada, that oh, Australia has the best beef in the world. This is you know, amazing. We've got so much beef. And she went to Canada and she ate, you know, Albertan beef. And she went, oh, have I got this wrong? And I said, yeah, 
in Canada, we graze off of green grass that are, <laughs> you know, nutrient rich soil, green grass. Well, what do you think the beef's going to taste like? And where you graze in Queensland off dry, dusty scrub and in WA the same, you know, look at but, the beef uh, from the Northwest here. It's fantastic yeah. soil. Uh, it's fantastic grass. Yeah, The food in Tassie tastes great because you're growing it right. You know, you're growing it off of proper soil. You're growing it with a decent amount of water. Um, and we're lucky, absolutely lucky this way. Yeah. Um, so part of that appeals to someone who is looking for a home away from home. As I said, I'll, I'll probably always refer to Canada as home. But I loved my home. I loved Canada. I, I do still. And I wanted to find the closest thing apart from Canada, the, you know, in Australia. And that, that's here for sure. doesn't have as many people, but that can be a good thing. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. I, I love that my commute to work is five minutes. I love that. I love the traffic reports here. Because <laughs> it cracked me up. There's just no such thing as traffic compared to a Sydney, Melbourne, Toronto. I mean, I, I find it comical. It's great. The Launceston-Hobart rivalry always <laughs> cracks me up, whether it's based on beer or whether it's based on a footy team or, uh, you know. Yeah, I think uh, people from outside find that very strange. I, I find it hysterical because I just think, look, if there was ever a war, we'd be on the same side no matter what. Well, why Why the argument? So, I mean, I'm probably biased coming from Hobart, but it often seems that people in Launceston take that more seriously than Hobartians, but... I'm not from Hobart originally either, so... No, do you know what? I, I think you're right about that. I also, in talking with a, my wife this morning about this upcoming interview, I think that that's maybe what appeals to Canadians, or at least to myself, about Launceston, in that we've grown up in Canada with a big brother to the south that dominates us culturally, economically, whatnot, sporting, <laughs> music, whatever. And so there's almost that ethos in Canada that you have to be more congenial, uh, mm -hmm. more funny, more accepting, more tolerant, more willing to, to please than the big brother to the south that can just, uh, you know, dominate. And, and I think that's that underlying tone I felt in Launceston more than in Hobart. That, okay. That, yeah, we're, we're not as big. We don't have as many things, but boy, we're willing to roll up our sleeves and smile and help you out with something. Uh, uh, maybe that's oversimplifying it, but there's certainly a, a warmth and an openness to to people here that, yeah, m maybe is that inferiority complex uh, or it just feels more, more natural for me up here. your wife in Canada? Did I get that right? Yes, sort of. Yes. Sort of. So my wife, had, she's West Australian. As I said, she'd come over to do a ski season, not at Whistler, uh, <laughs> but she did a ski season. We met on a flight from Vancouver down to Puerto Vallarta, Mexico, and had been going down to meet a girlfriend from LA and just for a bit of a holiday before she went home. And I was desperately needing a break from 100-hour weeks in residency. And um, yeah, it, you know, an opportunity came up to have a holiday in Mexico. So we, we met on the plane briefly. Well, we met going through Mexican customs, we like to say. Yeah, uh, right. <laughs> uh, we, we, That's a great meetup story. It is. It was actually hysterical because we, we, I think she was behind me in the queue and Mexican, or at least Puerto Vallarta customs, had um, this system where you press a button and if it goes green, 
go on through. And if it goes red, they're going to search you. And we just smiled and laughed at it. And went through. We both went green. And, and then she said to me, well, well, do you mind watching my bag while I go to the washroom? And I said, yeah, that's fine. Figuring if she's already smuggled in drugs, they're in. <laughs> it's fine. We're already in. So, uh, yeah, I, I since over the years found out that anytime she gets off an airplane, she needs to go pee immediately. <laughs> so, oh, really? yeah. so uh, you know, the rest was history. We shared a shared a taxi and met up as and got to know each other as friends. And then, oh, I guess started dating a few weeks later when she was back in Vancouver after her family had come for a visit and they toured around the western part of Canada for a while. And then, yeah, you know, we started dating. She actually went off to England for four months. So we, again, we had a relationship that started as friends. Um, we got to know each other via email and some occasional phone calls and realized this this could probably work if we were ever in the same town. So she moved back to Vancouver because I still had training to finish and she just moved right in. So we'd had, well, I like to say we had one night and then she moved in with the backup plan. Well, if this isn't working, you go back to Australia. And if it is working, stick around. She stuck around. Yeah. It's been 18 years. Yeah. All right. Yeah. That's pretty good effort. So how long then were you in Canada before you came to Australia? Well, I mean, I was in Canada all my life, but I, I'd been to Australia. I'd backpacked around Australia as a medical student for about three months. And then my wife and I lived together. Well, she was my girlfriend. Then we lived together for about a year in Vancouver. And then as soon as I finished training, her work visa was done. So we moved to WA and then spent the better part of 10 years in WA, going back to Canada when my dad wasn't well for a few years. And then, yeah, after 10 years there, made the decision to, to shift somewhere cooler, both temperature-wise and culturally cooler. Yeah. I like it here. Yeah. yeah. So at what point did you decide your life was going to be in Australia? Long story short, when we moved back to WA in 2012, I thought I was pretty much done with medicine. I didn't want okay. to be a GP anymore. The effort was we'll take a rural posting, we'll save up money while the kids are young because I don't know what I'm going to do. Maybe I'll go back to uni, maybe I'll do politics, maybe I'll write books, but I can't see myself being a GP in 20 years. So it was an effort to just bank up some savings, make a nest egg so that if the money was lean for a few more years, that was fine. And I loved, I found I loved doing skin cancer. So I had a day a week that I would just do skin cancer in this clinic in WA and in Southwest. And yeah, it, it really worked for me, both appealing from a, as I said, from a personal perspective and, and what I got to do. And so I started doing more and more courses in it. And that was, that was it. And then we realized I can't do it in Canada in order to do it in Canada. One, the incidences are much lower Yeah. Two, there's not an outpatient skin cancer field you'd, you'd have to go okay. retrain as a dermatologist and i didn't see being 40 and wanting to retrain in anything anymore you know it was one thing at 30 ish but at 40 ish was a little taxing and then also i i don't think i wanted to lose doing skin cancer i didn't want to treat primarily acne and other skin conditions yeah. I, I wanted to do cancer where i got to do a little more surgery and oddly the field of dermatology in canada is not really well supported financially and um and professionally it it's becoming it it used to be a very lucrative very well paid very exciting field well for the doctor uh yeah. <laughs> 25 30 years ago and isn't anymore they're struggling okay. and so the appeal of doing that wasn't there 
and I realized we're going to stay in Australia. Now, where do we want to raise our kids? Where do, yeah, right. where do we really want to live? I didn't want to live in WA. Based on the heat and, and what we value, you know, the WA economy seemed to be based on a model of, well, dig it up and ship it off to China and make nothing locally. And just, yeah. um, I, I saw guys with eighth grade educations making, making 300,000 a year and living life large and teachers and nurses and people who were looking after society struggling to afford mm. a house, um, struggling to, you know, give their kids a good start. Uh, and I didn't like that value system. Yeah. Um, plus, I like the weather here better. Here, biggest difference for me is the, um, I don't know how to phrase it, I guess the, um, the insistence upon a education. So you don't go very far in Canada without post-secondary degree, like uh, without, yep. uh, and not just a, a BA, you, you know, you got to do a master's, you, you got to do a, a professional degree. You're not going to get a job fresh out of high school. Um, being a builder is just pays a lot here and it yeah. just doesn't pay the bills there. Yeah, um, right. I mean, you can get by, but you're, you're not going to be well off. And I think builders in Australia are well off. Um, not just Tassie. Um, we saw it in WA and, and the mining contingent who would, you know, fly up with their eighth grade education and hold a few drills here and there. They were well off. They're, they're in the upper 10%. And you don't, you don't have a, a manual job in Canada and, and exist in the upper 50% of, of income earners. Yeah, you just right. don't. So yeah, that, that striving for higher education striving for academic excellence um, need for education um, need to excel at school that's where i see it as a parent that you know my my kids the the academic standards by which my sister's kids are judged at school and by which my kids are being judged at school i think is sizable the difference mm -hmm. i think the expectations for boys and girls in in canada is that you know in, you're not going to accept middle of the road it's not to be strived for whereas here it's just get through and um yep. you can do a lot i think that's very much with tasmanian us. mentality as well yeah don't stand out maybe that's the tall poppy we went i went to a public high school as i said it was a big school about 1600 kids and we had 440 i think in our graduating class and yep. four weren't going to university yeah right so th i mean that, that was that was the kind of and that's a public school. That's a that's a yeah. That's the ethos there is. So yeah. Much, okay. So much. that was high school. You you celebrate it, but they have leavers dues everywhere around Australia. You know, it's it's a massive thing where kids go to Queensland or they go to Bali or they go to, and they oh, party yeah. like they've just won the Super Bowl, <laughs> and I kind of look at it like, well, you've done what was minimally expected of you. <laughs> Now celebrate it because great, but there's much more to life than just finishing high school. You know, if you don't have a plan, why are, why are you gonna use this as the pinnacle of your achievement in life? So you'd say then that academic achievement is more valued in Canada generally. Yeah, I think it's a necessity. It's probably valued. I'm selling it out, and I, and I guess I'm stereotyping, which I don't like doing. But there are amazingly bright people in Tasmania, and there are amazingly ambitious people in Tasmania in Tasmania and in Australia in general. But I think the need for academic achievement isn't there because you can get by with middle of the road. You can be quite successful here as a builder, as uh, you know, someone who works for themselves 
in yeah. in any number of fields. That's you're not you'd have to be so damn lucky in Canada to to be Bill Gates, you know, to to <laughs> drop out and make billions. Yeah. Canada, our home and native land. Tasmania is, I guess, largely regarded as a, a haves not state. You yeah. Know, we're, we're going to be, we're last in economics, we're last in education outcomes, uh, teen pregnancy, and state growth, us and us yeah, Northern and Territories. Been, and it's been that way for, honestly, for, for, for decades. Yeah. We have the odd moment of things go up for yep. a bit, but yeah. But I think, as most yeah. govern, government measurables, we're, we're dragging. And um, I mean, obviously right now we're kicking goals. I think our premier's done a great job managing COVID. Uh, I think we're seen by others in the mainland as, wow, this is a, a place where you can not have to lock down or because of their island nature, you know, you can control spread. We're all working from home in Sydney, Melbourne, where Brisbane, wherever. So if you're going to live from home, why not live from home 20 minutes out of Launceston where you can have several acres of land and just, you know, have a nice natural lifestyle? Why, why fight the traffic in Melbourne all the time? Um, so the appeal, and, and obviously we're seeing that in house prices going up, and we're seeing that in 30,000 people moving to Tasmania a year now. It, it's, it's, we're, we're different now. COVID has brought, obviously, uh, a great success for how we've managed the situation, a success for our view amongst the rest of Australians, I think. But as I said, we're also historically a haves not place. Yeah. And if we're going to stay resistant to opening, or opening our minds to other people's ideas, to what happens in Sydney, to what they do in New Zealand, to what they do elsewhere, we're going to stay a haves not state. Mm. You know, if you, if you don't want to hear how they do things elsewhere, you're really not going to affect that change for your future generations. And so I, I hope that I hope that this brings in fresh blood from mainland and from abroad. I hope that it also increases the awareness that as great as we're managing it, there's always ideas that we can open our minds and our hearts to to how how we can do it more, more efficient and better and more capable Absolutely. for all. Canada, That's another thing that always spins me out. Men walking around in Tassie in shorts. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes in flip-flops. And I just kind of go, don't tell me you don't feel the cold in your legs. That's the silliest thing I've ever heard. You've got a beanie on, you've got a jumper and a hoodie and a jacket on, and you're in shorts. This You, you look like an idiot. You've hit on the classic Tasmanian you know, winter identity, I suppose. Yeah. That's oh, how, my that's legs how you don't pick them. feel the cold. Yes, they do. <laughs> the rest of you is going to shiver. I was at school with a guy. He wore shorts every day of the year. I've asked some of the staff at you know the private schools here because all the boys at the private schools they wear their knee-high socks and their shorts in winter, and they look so silly. I mean, that's just <laughs> it's absurd. And I and I think why don't they wear pants? Is it part of the school uniform? And they say, look, we offer pants. But you're considered a, a loser or a nerd if you're wearing <laughs> pants. That you know all the all the cool kids are wearing shorts, and I'm going. Really? That's just absurd. You dress for the job that you want, right? That's a, that's an old <laughs> expression. Dress for the job you want. Nobody dresses like that if you're looking for a job as an architect or as a lawyer or you know as a school teacher or as you don't dress in shorts Not and knee high socks. I know in the and in like Queensland the police wear shorts and certain professions, but I've ne not in Tasmania. Yeah, wow. 
yeah, it, it spins me out. It always will. Uh, I, I know that I'm going to, I'll say it as often as I have to, but I'm not going to affect any change. And I know that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, like I said, that's, that's been a characteristic of Tasmanians for decades, I'd say. And I think it's just become part of the, uh, I don't know, part of the identity. Yeah, I was going to ask you about the Canadian winter because uh, I've interviewed a few people from northern countries and talked about the culture, the culture in winter. And I was wondering yeah. whether Canada might be the same given that you have pretty cold winters. Yeah, I, I, I do miss it. I miss having a reason to wear a jacket a lot. I mean, <laughs> I, we, we do. We do wear jackets here, but it's not. You, you have your winter clothes and your summer clothes uh, or, you know, different seasons. Um, winter always meant skiing to me, though. So winter yeah. growing up was always, well, that's great. We can go for a ski. We can go play. In Vancouver, especially, it was if it's raining in the city, it's snowing in the mountains. Let's just go. So there was always something to look forward to in leisure time there. Now, being in a big city when it's snowing in winter is miserable. It's um, it's often slushy and windy and really just unappealing. So I don't miss most of winter. I do miss skiing. I do yeah. miss, uh, uh, you know, I, I miss the occasional snowball fight with the kids. And um, <laughs> we, we had a snow day in Launceston last August. It snowed up here and it was great. I forgot about it because the kids woke me at 6 a.m. saying, Dad, 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 it's snowing. Let's, let's go play. And I was like, don't wake me. What do you, I've seen enough snow. And then, <laughs> and then I realized this was special and unique yeah. and should get out there. And yeah, it was, it was lovely. And all the you know, kids in the neighborhood just built snowmen and threw snowballs around and no one was in a hurry to get them off to school. And <laughs> they, uh, they had a great time. And then we took them tobogganing, went to Ben Lomond for oh, a little right, tobogganing yeah. and a little bit of, well, we didn't. I think we left the skis in the car. It wasn't that much snow. But I do want to get my kids onto onto skis. It was a big part of me. And our hope was always, you know, get them started at Ben Lomond and then go to Japan and go to New Zealand. And, well, you know, maybe one day the travel will be more free. Right now it's looking like that's a long way off. But well, New Zealand, I, you got a good chance with New Zealand. Yeah. We, had, uh, we definitely thought about it this winter. Mostly didn't want to take the risk that, as has happened now, snap outbreak and a travel bubble closes and mm. i could get stuck in new zealand for weeks and weeks and okay that's a there's worse places to get stuck but if i've got three months of patience waiting for me to get back yeah. it makes me feel uncomfortable so that, that'll that wait another year i think likewise having family abroad the most difficult thing it always felt far having my parents in toronto but now it's extremely far now it's now it's yeah. uh, there's oceans in, in between and, and and they're always yeah i guess literally were but yeah. you know we missed their 50th anniversary last year but everyone did i mean so yeah they couldn't yeah. go out so we did it all by zoom um but it would have been nice to be there as we'd planned we haven't seen them usually we see them at least once a year sometimes twice a year but it's been 18 months and the, i think they're very much talked to them this morning and they're hoping for a travel bubble for vaccinated travelers by december and i'm hopeful for that i really am but i, I try not to get their hopes up because i don't see that as likely and that's that's it's really depressing. It's it's yeah. depressing for the kids because you want your kids to be involved in their grandparents' lives and, yeah. and vice versa. It's much more important for my parents and for our kids than it is for us. And so this has been difficult because yeah. I can see it hurting my dad. I can see it hurting that they can't give their grandkids a hug. And they, they're missing out. And, and so yeah. are my kids. But it's the life we chose. It's um, 
I wouldn't choose otherwise. Even if I'd known this was going to come, uh, you know, I, I probably would have invested in a company called Zoom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, indeed. But if I'd known this was going to happen, no, we'd still live here. We're, we're in the best place in the world. Us in New Zealand, is the, yeah. where else would you want to live? Thank you for listening to another episode of 177 Nations of Tasmania. Don't forget you can also follow us on Spotify, Facebook and Twitter. Just look up 177 Nations of Tasmania. And thank you again for listening.